But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what was written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you that we have fixed our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who has begun a good work in us and who promises he will be faithful to complete it. We cast our cares on you knowing that you care about us, Lord. We thank you that all, though our afflictions don't feel light and sometimes they don't feel momentary, I thank you, Father, that you promise they're working a, a glory in us that far outweighs them all. Father, I thank you that you are all that we need, that you are more than enough. And so, Father, as we continue in this James study, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can consider it all joy when we encounter trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith is producing a perseverance in us that cannot be reproduced any other way. Thank you that you're maturing us, that you are equipping us, that you're empowering us, Lord, and that everything we need for life, everything we need for godliness, you have already given us. So, Father, we look to you in faith believing that you're who you say you are, believing that you can do what you say you can do. And Lord, that no matter what comes in our life, no matter what comes our way, Lord God, we believe, we believe that you are more than enough. We believe that you'll carry us through. We believe that with you, Lord God, everything is possible. And that you will bring us through, and not just bring us through, you'll bring us through triumphantly. And we give you praise and honor and glory for that. And Lord, I ask that you now just make my mouth like a sharpened sword. I'm asking you to fill it with your words, Lord God. Help me to teach with clarity. Help me to teach with effectiveness, Lord God. Open up our hearts and our minds to the things of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so glad that you're with us tonight. Um, It's good to be back Um, I have been debating whether or not to move on in the book of James, and I just do not feel the release to do that yet. I still want to focus on those few verses that Diane read to us, and thank you for that, Diane. Uh, I just want to focus on those few verses. I want to talk to you before we can talk uh, about a man who, who believes, must believe and not doubt, because if he doubts, he's going to be tossed to and fro, and that he's a double-minded man if he doubts, and that that kind of man should not believe he'll receive anything from Christ. That's what I want to talk to you about the next week. I keep saying that, but I promise that it will be next week. But I just want to park just one more week on why it's so hard for us to consider it pure joy when we encounter trials of many kinds. 
why that is not our second nature. I, I just want to talk to you about that. I've been, been meditating on a couple verses this week. The one that Piper was just talking about in that video, that's the Shane and Shane video, by the way. I think it's fantastic. It's a beautiful song. Uh, but I want to, I've been, I've been meditating on that scripture. That's how I found that, that, that video um, about our light and momentary afflictions and how when we are afflicted, when troubles come, when trials come, and we all have them. If you, if you don't have them and you don't think you can relate to this message, please take good notes because I promise you, if we are waiting to build a foundation and make our foundation strong, if we're waiting for the storm to come to do that, we know what happens to that kind of house that's built on that kind of foundation. So if you're here tonight and you say, Rhea, I don't know anything about troubles. I don't know anything about trials. Right now my life is pretty peachy keen, honky-dory. Well, that's wonderful, but take good notes because Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, not you might. You will. Don't be surprised when it comes. But he says, here is the promise. Take heart. Don't lose heart. Because I've overcome the world. I've carried off the victory. I already have given you the victory. You fight from victory. In case you're forgetting in the midst of that hard time, when everything seems overwhelming, where you feel like there is no more hope, can you just please remember that you are fighting from the place of victory? I've already attained it. It's already been secured for us. And so I just want to talk to you a bit tonight about momentary afflictions, about how, how it feels. You see, I love the story of John the Baptist when he is in, uh, in prison, and, and, and it doesn't look good for John the Baptist. Here he comes, and he's preparing the way of the Lord, and, and he says, you know, one is coming uh, after me whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie, and, and he gets to, to just make that announcement that the Lamb of God is coming, and, 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 and he is, I mean, he has been prepared for this day, and then all all of a sudden, he didn't do anything. I, I just wonder if you can relate to that, the place where you haven't done anything and you find yourself in prison because of it. And, and here, John the Baptist is. He's a good guy. He's really, he's really wanting to serve God, and, and he knows his mission, and he is, he is committed to it, and, and he really is about doing good, and then, bam, he's in prison, and he's going to be beheaded, and he knows it. And he's sitting in the prison cell and he says, uh, the, the disciples come to him and, and, and he says to them, will you just go ask Jesus if he's the one or, or, or is he not even who we were looking for? I don't even know anymore. I'm so discouraged. I'm so disappointed. I hate being in prison. I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. C can you just go ask him if he's even the one we were waiting for? Now here John the Baptist is, he knows his mission, he's preparing the way, he's the voice in the wilderness crying out, and then all of a sudden he goes from that to sitting in prison saying, I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if you're who you say you are. Now I know that you're all far more spiritual than I am, but I wonder, just wonder, if you've ever been in a place of heartache, if you've ever been in a place of trial, if you've ever been in a place where you're crying out to God to come to your rescue and heaven seems silent, and that you can relate to John the Baptist and say, are you even there? Are you even the one I thought you were? Are you even the God I talk about? I love that we see John's humanity coming, in, coming through in scripture. Do you love that? And so tonight, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about what we do in those times of trials, in those times of tribulation, when it looks like all of heaven is silent and God is in no big hurry to come to our rescue. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? And I love that the scripture says that those places, those times are light and momentary. But let me just give you the good news. Even though they might not feel light, even though it might feel like it's crushing, even though it might feel like it really can't get any worse in your life, I promise you it's light and it's momentary in light of eternity because that thing is working in you. It's working in you, something that can't be worked any other way. James says it's maturing you. It's doing something in you that can't be formed any other way. And now we're seeing in 2 Corinthians that that light and momentary affliction is working a glory, a glory that far outweighs it all. And I love it. This week, I just thought about a scripture. I just thought about the, the, the weight when I was a little girl growing up. 
I had a little country store uh, just right up the street from my house, and, and I would love to go there with my mama, and I'm gonna date myself here, but he had one of those scales that, that was you know not like the ones that we see in the grocery store now, but he had an old-fashioned scale that had two little like um, plates on either side of them, and my mama would get a pound of flour, and he would fill the one side with, with the flour, and the other side would be a weight, and you know the scale would do this number. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and this week, as I was thinking about this scripture, that your light and momentary problems are, are, are forming in you, a glory that far outweighs them all. If you had one of those scales tonight, and, and see, I'm not discounting that some of your troubles are heavy, that some of your, your troubles don't feel light, but if you put uh, that, that heavy affliction on this side of the scale, what would happen? The weight of it would, 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 it would cause it to go down. But, but what the scripture is saying here is the glory that God is using those troubles because there is some things that can only be formed in us in the furnace of affliction. I know you don't like to hear that. I know that it's not a popular feel-good message, but I'm here to tell you that some things can only be formed in the fire. In the fire. People say to me, Rhea, where did, you, where did you get so passionate about Jesus? Where did you learn so much about Jesus? It was in the fire. And if I could go back and, and, and change the things in my past that I had to endure, that I had to go through, can I promise you, I went through some stuff. Anybody here besides me endured and went through some stuff. But every last one of those things produced a glory in me that far outweighed. It was much heavier than the affliction I ever went through. If you would have asked me at the time, I would have told you the affliction was so much heavier than anything God could ever have been doing. But hindsight... The scales tipped with the glory. It was so worth it. And that's what he's saying. That thing James is saying, consider it pure joy because I promise you that trouble, that trial, that tribulation, if you could just embrace it, I promise you it is forming something in you that cannot be formed any other way. Do you believe that? I was thinking why I fight that so much and why it's so hard for me to consider it pure joy. I'll just talk about myself. I'm not even talking about you. I just want to share. You can, you can just glean. <laughs> but, but sometimes it's hard for me to consider it pure joy when I'm in a really hard time. I don't know about you. When a trial comes, a tribulation comes, I really hate it. I, I much prefer to be happy and filled with joy and, and have a peachy keen, honky-dory life, but that's just not my life. I, it may be yours, that's great, but it's not mine. And, and so I really kind of buck it, and I'd like to say that I, I, I embrace it all with pure joy, but sometimes, it, just sometimes I fight it. I don't know about you. And so I was thinking, Lord, why do I fight it if I know all of this? If scripture's so clear why you're doing it, if I really honestly believe that, that you are with me like a mighty warrior, that you fight my battles for me, if I really believe that you're faithful, true, and just, and I do, if I really believe that you're God and there's nothing impossible for you, why do I fight it so much, Lord? Why can't I just embrace it and consider it pure joy? And so this week, I was looking at scripture. If you have your Bibles, open them to um, first. Uh, let's actually turn over to Romans chapter 12. I want to look at there first. There's Acts and then there's Romans. Romans chapter 12. I was reading this passage this week and I saw something I hadn't seen before and I just want to share it with you. I'm going to go to a couple places. It's going to feel like it doesn't all make sense, but I promise you I will bring it together in the end. Just bear with me. Romans chapter 12. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, and sometimes it's not, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil. Don't be overcome by evil. But overcome evil 
with good. And that's the verse that I want to focus on tonight. That is the, 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 the issue that I think is the reason it's so hard for us to embrace trials and tribulation with joy. Why it's so hard for us to have to endure hard times. Because I'm just going to tell you, some people are nasty, are they not? Some things are just evil, are they not? Some things are just not fair, I got ripped off kind of issues. Anybody besides And when that happens, the flesh inside of me, and we have it, rears its ugly head and says, I, this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not right. Lord, where are you? And why aren't you doing something about it? And then you tell me, Lord, repay no one evil for evil. Are you kidding me? You want me to just sit back and consider it all joy? You really, really want me to do that, Lord? Yes. And so then I read that last sentence and it says, look at this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do do you know what that word overcome means? It's where we get our word Nike. Are you with me? It's it's Nikeo in the the Greek. And what it means is to, to carry off the victory, to come off victorious, to conquer to get the victory. Some of your translations will, be say, will say, do not be conquered by evil. <laughs> How many of you want evil to conquer you? Not me, I just, I am a fighter. Can I tell you, I am competitive to the, ask anybody who's ever played board games with me. Karen, you do. Am I competitive? I like to win. Anybody besides me like to win? I can get pouty if I don't win. And, and here, he's saying, here is the answer. Conquer evil. You conquer it. I like to conquer. I like to win. I like to be victorious. And so that got my attention. I was like, and how do I conquer evil? Because I'm all into that one. I want to conquer evil. And he says, this is how you conquer it. This is how you carry off the victory, Rhea. You overcome it with good. Really? You want me to respond kindly to someone who's been nasty? Yes. That's how you overcome evil, Rhea. You forgive even when they don't deserve it, Rhea. You are going to be conquered by evil if you don't. You see that person that hurt you that you think they don't deserve to be forgiven? That, that, that situation that hurt you so deeply that, that even just thinking about it right now just, just makes something rise up within you? Can I just tell you that person who you think you can't forgive? They're a tool right now for evil to be able to conquer you. Evil is carrying off the victory in your life as long as you're holding on to unforgiveness. The victory's being carried off. You are not conquering it. And God is saying, you forgive because I've forgiven you. It's the best way to, get, to conquer that evil in your life. It's the best way to carry off the victory. It's the best way to consider it pure joy. So then I was like, Lord, really? Is that really what you mean? And, and so I went back to the beginning of the chapter because you know I teach you this all the time. We must keep scripture in context. And so if you're looking at, at scripture in context here, you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, verse one, and you know the story. It begins with, present yourself as what? living sacrifices. And, and I was on the treadmill last week and I was talking to the Lord about a situation in my life that is you know, I'm trying to carry off the victory, but it's hard. And I was saying, Lord, this really stinks. It stinks, Lord. And I was using those words. I was saying that out loud on the treadmill in my empty house. And I was saying, Lord, I just want you to know, I feel like you're expecting more of me than you are this other person. And I don't think it's fair. Can I tell you it stinks? And I kept using that word stinks. And and I was like, you can't possibly expect me, Lord, to, to be good to this person who has hurt me so deeply. And it stinks. And I just want you to know, Lord, it stinks. And immediately I have this flash of picture that comes through my mind. My grandfather owned a trucking company. My father and all my uncles worked for him and in our trucking company, we hauled, we had refrigerated tractor trailer trucks. So our trailers were refrigerated and, and they were refrigerated because we didn't haul boxes. We hauled meat and our meat was hanging meat. And, and so we had meat hooks in the back of our tractor trailer trucks. And, and I remember as a little girl going to the slaughterhouse with my father and we would pick up loads of meat and literally it would be 
portions of the cow hanging on a meat hook and, and, and hung into our tractor trailer trucks. And so often our, our trailers would flip over because they were hanging uh, 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 trailers of meat. And so they'd turn a corner and the meat would all shift and our trailer would just keep going. And, and so it was back in those days. That's exactly how we would do it. And, and so as a little girl, I would go with my father to these slaughterhouses. Well, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse, y- you will know where I'm going with this. Because what, was, what did I say to the Lord? It stinks, Lord, that you're asking me to make this sacrifice. And, and so I, I'm on the treadmill, and all this is coming through my head, and I'm remembering the smell of being in those slaughterhouses and, and how the blood that was, that was all over the place in those slaughterhouses and in our tractor-trailer trucks. After we would deliver that meat, we would have to clean the trailers a certain way. Otherwise, the smell would be overwhelming. It was dead animal. That's what it was. And, and so um, I'm talking to the Lord about this and I'm saying it stinks. And he takes me back to the beginning of that passage where he says, you know, you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice, Rhea. You need to die. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How about the person who hurt me? Can you make them die, Lord? It's their turn. I, I really am telling you, this stinks. Yep, sacrifices do stink, Rhea. And so I get off the, the, the treadmill, I call Leslie, and I'm telling her about the slaughterhouse business, and, and I tell her that story, and, and then I go to study the tabernacle, because you ha- we've talked about the tabernacle many times, and so let me, just, let me just refresh your memory. You know the tabernacle. The Israelites would bring sacrifices uh, to the priest. The priest would, would, would make the sacrifice to atone for their sin. They would... They would slaughter or sacrifice the animal. They would put it on the the altar. Can you imagine? Dave and I were talking about how many, what, probably thousands, millions, probably of, of sacrifices, thousands of sacrifices in a day went through that tabernacle. Can you imagine the blood? Slit their throat on the altar What's it going to smell like? All that old blood. Dave said, Rhea, they're sprinkling it everywhere. All that old blood sprinkled everywhere. Can you imagine the stench? We don't think about that when we study the tabernacle. And so what came after the, the altar? We've studied this. What was the next step after the altar? The priest would then wash in the laver. He'd wash his hands. He's washing the blood before he goes into the presence of God. And so he's washing at the laver. And then the next step is what? He goes into the, the incense. He would, he would go into the, the, the table of incense. And, and, and so what's going to, have you ever smelled incense? And I'm thinking as I'm talking to the Lord about all this, huh, that incense that I always thought was the prayers of the people, and I really do believe it's still the prayers of the people coming up. But, but what is going to happen when they burn that incense? The smell is going to get covered by this fragrance, is it not? And so I'm still talking to the Lord about this, and I'm studying, and and if you will recall when we studied the tabernacle, what happens with the materials? Out here, the materials are cheaper. The closer you get to the presence of God, they get what? More expensive, more pure. The, 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 the materials are co- more costly. And he's like, Rhea, you know what? This is, this is putting away, this is, this is producing a weight of glory in you. This sacrifice, this trial that you are in and your choice to sacrifice, Rhea, the closer you get to my presence, the, 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 the weightier it gets. Do you see that? Do you see it, Rhea? You choose to sacrifice. You choose to die. You get in my presence, and my presence, the pleasing sacrifice, what happens? The, the Israelites were led by the cloud of, by, in the day and the fire by night. The cloud, think about the cloud of incense in that small little space with the priests. Are you with me? It was the presence of God would just fill that place and there's fragrance when he's pleased. When he's pleased with the sacrifice, do you see it? And you see what I realized this week is the reason I can consider it pure joy when I'm encountering trials of many kinds because it's forming something in me that can't be formed any other way and more than I want anything in this whole white world.
more than I want vengeance, more than I want a, a, a repayment, more than I want free from the pain, more than I want the trouble to stop. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I want to be the real deal or nothing at all. And so if I have to deal with the stench and if it has to stink, Lord, that you are asking me to sacrifice this, but it's getting me closer to your presence and, and the, the, the cloud of your presence is going to saturate my life. It's so worth it. Is it worth it any, for anybody other than me? Because this light and momentary trouble, this light and momentary affliction is working in you a glory that far outweighs it all. It's going to be so worth it. In light of eternity, this world is brief. It's brief at best. At the very best, this world is but a vapor. This world is but a vapor. Do you know that the heavier gold is, the more valuable it is? The heavier weight is working. Your affliction may be heavy. Your trouble may be heavy. But the glory that's coming is going to be so much greater. So much greater. So I was telling Leslie and Dave about the slaughterhouse maybe two weeks ago. And this week I was studying something else. And I happened to come across a commentator who was talking about a slaughterhouse. I could not believe it. I, I nearly dropped the book. I could not even believe. I was reading now again about a slaughterhouse. And, and he was talking about sheep that are being led to the slaughterhouse. And, and he said he, a friend of his took him on a tour of a slaughterhouse. And this one was uh, swine. It was pigs. And he said, you know, he was amazed because the pigs, when they were led to be slaughtered, they were grunting and squealing and they were making all kinds of noise. And right before they would slit their neck, the pig would give out this horrific squeal. And then he said immediately after they visited that, that slaughterhouse, they went to a, um, where they slaughtered sheep. And he said, you know the scripture that says we are like, he was led away like a sheep uh, to the slaughter. He was led away quietly like a sheep to the slaughter. And he said, it was amazing to me because I watched these sheep be slaughtered and he said the knife would go up to their neck and they wouldn't even let out a little bleep. They would just sit quietly and surrender, surrender to the sacrifice, surrender to the slaughtering. And I thought of myself and how, Lord, I can consider this all joy. I can choose to do what's right. I can choose, I can choose, Stephanie, to overcome evil with good. I can make that choice because I want to be the winner. I want to conquer it. I don't want e evil to carry away the victory in my life. I want to carry away the victory that's already been assured for me on the cross of Calvary. And I do that by giving good for everything evil coming back at me. Because the weight of glory that is forming in me will far outweigh the trouble. Do you see it? So what's your trouble? What's your heartache? What's the thing you're having to endure right now? I want to read you one more story uh, before we go tonight. This is really the basis of my teaching. It's in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. It's a familiar story to most of you. I may have already taught on it at one point, but I want to revisit it tonight. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. <clears throat> Now it happened the day after, and, and I want to just talk to you about what the day after is here. Uh, they're talking about Jesus. He had been uh, with the, the centurion. You, you'll remember it was a Roman centurion. Uh, not, he was not a Jewish man. He was Roman. Romans were despised. They, they were, you know, the, the, the Jews and the Romans did not get along well. And, and you know the story. The, the Roman centurion has sent some, some messengers came to him. They said, you know, the, the, there's this really great centurion. His servant is sick. He's ready to die. Um, could you just come to his house and heal him? And Jesus is going and, and he's met with, by the centurion. The centurion said, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He said, you just, what? Speak the word. 
You just say the word. Jesus, I'm so convinced that your word has power. If you just speak it, my servant will be made well. I'm not convinced. He says, I'm a man of authority. People do what I say. I say something and they follow my words. They obey me. And so Jesus, you are a man of authority. All you got to do is say the word. Just speak the word. Next week, we're going to talk some more about believing and not doubting and how when we really understand the authority behind Jesus's words, we will start speaking them over our situations. We'll start speaking them over our children. We'll start speaking them over our our marriages. We'll start speaking them over our finances. We'll start speaking the word when we understand the power and the authority that's in God's word. The centurion understood authority. And he says, Jesus, I know that you're a man of authority. You just say the word. You don't even have to come. That's how much faith I have in your word. Do you have that much faith in his word, church? Do you believe that this word is yea and amen to those who believe? Do you believe that he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent? That this word is true? That it's forever settled in heaven? That it works? This Roman centurion was, and so Jesus says the word, the the servant was healed, and and the people were overcome with amazement, and a large crowd started to follow Jesus because of it. Word was spreading, and that large crowd is with Jesus right now. This is the day after that that, that, um, miracle took place, and now he's leaving Capernaum, and he's going into... um, Nain. Now you need to know that that's about 25 miles apart. Not a big deal if you're driving a car, but if you're on foot, 25 miles is a little hike. And so don't miss the fact that this was not just a visit next door. Jesus is going out of his way to go to Nain at just the right moment. Oh, I love it. Can I tell you that he is never too late in your situation. His timing is always perfect. Some of you are waiting for Jesus to show up in your circumstance, but can I tell you what? He is never a moment late. He is right on time every moment. In this story, if Jesus had come 30 minutes later, he would have missed it. If he had come a day earlier, he would have been too soon. He came at just the right point in this story to intercept a funeral that was about to take place. Verse 11, now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, I love it, when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. Can I tell you? Uh, that when, when Jesus was born, the angel said to Mary, I want you to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want you to name him Jesus, Emmanuel, God who is with us. He's coming to be with us is what the angel was saying. And can I tell you, God is with us right now. God is visiting his people here tonight. There is no doubt about it. He's not a far off, distant God. He's not a God who's not interested in your circumstance. I promise you, he hears your cries. And he will move heaven and earth to come rescue you when you call. He is not, he is not uh, uh, deaf to your call. You might feel like he is. You might feel like he's not hearing your prayer. You might feel like he's not showing up in your circumstance. But can I promise you, he hears you when you call. He hears you. So here, the the word says that, that there was 
Jesus and his disciples and a crowd, a large crowd, are coming into the city. And at that exact moment, again, timing, God's timing. His timing is perfect. Jesus, had he come just a few minutes later, would never have intersected this funeral. I want you to not miss that. Understand, he went 25 miles out of his way. Can I tell you, he will go out of his way when you call. And so Jesus is coming in to Nain, and just as he's coming in at that exact moment, a funeral procession is coming out, and there is a widow there. And the Bible says that this was her only son. And and that's the same word that's used in John 3.16 when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son, his, his only begotten. And what that word means there is soul. It means one of a kind. It means that that was his only son. And what, when they use the same word here, well, what Luke is telling us is that this was her only child. She didn't have another daughter. She didn't have another son. This was her only son. And the word that's used in the original language doesn't mean he was a little boy. He was a man. He was a grown man. And the word says it was her only son and she was a widow. You say, well, Rhea, what is the big deal? That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because you see, in Bible times, a woman was dependent on her husband. And if she didn't have a husband, she had to have a son or things were hopeless because she could not earn a living. She couldn't plow fields. She couldn't, she couldn't, do a har- she couldn't bring in the harvest. She couldn't do it. it w- women were looked down on. She would have had no way to make a living. She would have no one to provide for her. Her life would have been hopeless. And so think about this woman. Just put yourself in her shoes just for a moment. How many years back? Maybe it was months back. Maybe it was years back. I don't know how long, but here's what we do know. Her husband died. And, and I don't know if you've ever had a trial or a tribulation where you think this is the worst thing that could possibly ha- be happen. It can't get any worse than this. And then what happens when it does? You think it can't get any worse, and then bam, it does. And that's what happened to her. It was bad that she was a widow. It was bad that her husband had died. But at least she had a son, an older son, to to take care of her and to help provide for her. And, And so her life, although it would have been bad that she lost her husband, at least she had someone that she could lean on and provide for her. And now, when she didn't think it could get any worse, oh dear one, I wonder if any of you are in that situation tonight night where you've just had one trial after another one trouble after another you just get keep you just keep getting hit and hit and hit and and, and you just you just feel like you want to be down for the count I think she felt like she was down for the count she was a widow and now her only son died and because we know he was an older son here's where it gets even worse she was past the childbearing age She was really hopeless. She was really hopeless. And so she's leaving town. She's she's weeping in front of this funeral procession and, and, and they're carrying her son on an open coffin. And so the dead body probably would have been wrapped, but it would have been laying open on this this coffin. It was really kind of just like a frame that they would have had people carrying and kind of parading him through town. I I wonder if there's anybody here that would be willing to admit that sometimes they parade their death. Sometimes they make a parade out of their death. Can I just tell you how bad my life is? Can I just tell you how awful my marriage is? Can I just tell you what my husband did to me? Can I just tell you about my job and what they did to me and how messed over I got? Can I just tell you what happened to me when I was 30? Uh, Can I just tell you what happened to me 20 years ago? Can I tell you what happened to me when I was a little girl and I just can't move beyond it? Can I just just tell you? Can I just go over it with you again and again and again and again? And Can I just tell you? He came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. And that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And that the punishment that brought you and I peace was upon him on the cross. And he wants his people free. He wants us free, not parading our death around. And tonight I believe with all of my heart and soul that he wants to interrupt some funerals here. He wants to interrupt some death. He wants to say, it is time for me to interrupt this death and bring some life back into your life. And so at just the right moment, 
He comes across this funeral and he interrupts it. The Bible says that she was weeping and and I'm so struck by this. The, The word says in verse 13, it says that when Jesus saw her, oh, that's such a sweet word. Oh, I, I, just, I just wonder, I wonder how long it was since she felt like anybody even saw her pain. I remember when my mama died. I remember, I just felt like my whole world had just crashed in front of me and I was at the grocery store and I remember looking around at people laughing and, and having a good time and, and me thinking, do you not know that my world just crashed? Do you not know that my best friend just died? Do you not know what this feels like? Everybody's life was going on and mine had stopped. My Mine had stopped for death. I wonder what your death is tonight. This woman, her life, one moment was probably peachy keen, honky-dory, everything was good, and then suddenly death interrupted it. And everything changed in a moment. I wonder if you're here tonight and, and maybe in a moment everything changed. Maybe you thought you had a peachy keen honky-dory marriage and then suddenly you got to notice that, 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 that she had left you for another man. Maybe at one minute your life was peachy keen honky-dory and the next you got a medical report that was not good. Maybe your life was peachy keen honky-dory and you went to work and you got called into the boss's office and in a moment everything changed. I wonder if if your family was peachy keen, honky-dory, and in a moment you find out something that changed the scope of everything in your family. And life was good, and then death interrupted it. The Bible says that Jesus saw her. I, I love that word because it doesn't just mean to see. It means to see and to ascertain what must be done about it. Oh, can I just tell you, Jesus sees you. He sees your situation. He sees what you're enduring. He sees what you're going through. And he has already ascertained what needs to be done about it. Do you just love that that's the kind of God we have? That he sees you. The Bible says that he saw her. And and here's what just tickles my heart. I, I don't know, Steph, you're a pastor, you know this. Sometimes when you go visit somebody who is in, you know, having a hard time or maybe grieving or mourning, I, I can say the stupidest things. I, I really can. Like, I'm like, oh, why did you say that? That was just stupid. Not a good thing to say at this time. But, but one, of my, one of my best ones is they all crying and I'd be like, don't cry. I mean, that's just stupid. That's just dumb. Why do you say that? Uh, They're hurting. Let them cry. But really, what that really means is I can't stand to see you crying. Please please make me more comfortable. Don't cry. Or don't cry. I want to fix it, but I can't fix it. But I don't think that's what Jesus was saying here. He tells her, don't cry. But I don't think it was for the same silly reason that Rhea would say, don't cry. I think he was saying... Don't cry, I'm going to fix this. I got this one. Can I tell you? Whatever your death is, whatever the enemy is using to bury you, whatever is carrying your death through town, can I just tell you Jesus has a message for you tonight? He has this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in those situations. The God of the impossible is working in those situations. You can't fix it. I love that everybody that was with her, she had a large crowd of people around her, a large crowd of people around her. Everybody felt sorry for her. I bet when, I bet, I just bet when Jesus said, oh, don't cry, I bet they're thinking, oh, come on, she's been through enough. Remember, they've never seen anybody get raised from the dead. I'm sure they're thinking, Jesus, come on. Let her go. She's mourning. Can't you see? What are you giving her this false hope for? What are you trying to make her feel better for, Jesus? She's in pain. Don't you see she's in pain? What strikes me is there's two crowds here. The one who's with Jesus, and they're celebrating his power. They had just seen his power at work. And the other crowd, without Jesus, in the parade of death, having a funeral. I wonder who you're surrounding yourself with. 
Are you surrounding yourself with people who help you parade your death? Who mourn with you instead of celebrate the power of God? I wonder if they try to discourage Jesus. So Jesus tells her, don't cry. And the word says that he touched the coffin. Oh, there's so much here I'd like to preach, but I won't. But um, just, I mean, think about it. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. And he's touching death, which is a no-no. You don't get near death. You, Jesus would have automatically become unclean touching that dead person. And I'm sure they were all like, oh, my goodness, he touched that dead body. And that right there is a preach because I'm just going to tell you, He's not afraid of what's bringing death in your life. He's not afraid of your death. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of what's destroying you. He's not afraid of the secret that you're keeping that is bringing you death. He's not afraid of what you did that's caused all this death. He, he's, not, he's not put off by, by, by what caused the death in your life. He's not put off by the pornography. He's not put off by the sin. He's not put off by the adultery. He's not put off by what has brought death in your life. He's not afraid of it. He is more than a conqueror, and so are you in him. And so he touches the dead body. And the word for touch there doesn't just mean touch. That's just touch. Touch. It means to cling to. It means to adhere to. But here's the best one, and I got to look it up on my notes because I sure don't want to mess it up because it's so powerful. It doesn't just mean to touch. It means, oh, Lord, help me to find it. Um, to lay hold of. Lord, help me. Here it is, a touching that influences, a handling of an object as to exert a modifying influence upon it. Oh, does that bless anybody besides me? That's so good. That one touch from Jesus, and it's a modifying touch. It's a touch that brings an influence that's going to change that situation. Oh, can I just tell you one touch, one touch from my Jesus, and everything changes. Will you let him interrupt your funeral tonight? Will you let him interrupt that death that's in your life that you think is too hopeless even for Jesus? Oh, I love it. Uh, you've heard me say this a million times. Lazarus, Mary and Martha said, Lazarus dies. Bam, he dies. But before he dies, they said notice to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the one you love so well is sick. Can you just come? We saw what you can do. You're powerful. We, we were buds with you we we worked with you while you saw all these did all these miracles and now we need one and so Jesus can you come he's sick and the Bible says that Jesus intentionally delays two more days where he's at <laughs> oh man that's not fun have you ever felt like that you call on Jesus you know he's able to do something and then heaven seems silent and he doesn't seem like he's in a big hurry to help you that was Mary and Martha and they were his buddies So then Jesus shows up a couple days later and Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and you just want to say, Mary and Martha, you know what he can do. Why in the world did you bury him? Why did you give up hope that he could do something? You, you saw what he could do, but isn't that like us? We know it here. We can believe it for somebody else, but then our situation happens and heaven seems silent and we give up hope and we start questioning the faithfulness of God. So Jesus shows up, and the first thing he says to him is, show me where you laid him. Take me to that place, Mary and Martha, where you gave up believing I was able. Take me to that place where you stopped believing I was more powerful, and you just buried it. See, some of you have buried hope tonight. You stopped believing he could fix that marriage. You stopped believing he could fix that prodigal child. You gave up hope that he could help you with that addiction. You stopped believing that he was more powerful than anything you're going through. You stopped believing that, that just because the divorce papers were, 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 were filed that he could actually do anything to change that. So, so you just went to court. You stopped believing. Show me where you laid him, Jesus says. And then you know what happens. His resurrection power comes through and Lazarus walks out of that grave alive. 
So Jesus says to her, he, she, he touches the dead body. And he says to him, arise. Stir yourself to life. I'm going to put an exerting influence on this dead body and bring life back into it. Can I just tell you about his resurrection power? His resurrection power. My son Tyler, um, I think I told you last week or week before, our, our son Tyler is a police officer and he called me. He's got the most tender, gentle heart of anybody you'll ever meet. And um, he called me the other day. He was discouraged. He had responded to a call and it was an elderly lady and she had passed away. And so he got there before the EMTs or the paramedics and so he began CPR on her. And I knew where the story was going when he started telling me. I could just hear it in his voice. And he said, and Mom, I performed it until the, the paramedics came. And she, he said, she didn't. I couldn't revive her. And I'm like, Tyler, honey, it's appointed to man to die once and then face judgment. You can't interfere with a point at time, big guy. I said, you could, you could perform CPR till you were blue in the face. And if God says, that's her day, that's her day, bud. And I said, you can't resuscitate death when it comes to that. But can I just tell you, there's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Resuscitation means I got to work to get life back into you. Resurrection is just like, come forth. See the big difference? Resurrection is me doing, resuscitation is me doing the work. Resurrection is God doing the work. Can I just tell you about God's resurrection power? He's not interested in, in, in resuscitating your marriage. He's not interested in resuscitating your finances. He's not interested in resuscitating your family situation. He's not interested in resuscitating whatever it is that is too far gone in your mind. See, that was Mary and Martha. This is too far gone even for Jesus. And here's the truth. That situation may be too far gone for you or for anyone else in the crowd. All of those people in the crowd were powerless to help this woman. They couldn't do anything to fix it until Jesus showed up. And so here, the reality might be that your marriage is dead, but Jesus is not limited to your reality. The reality might be that your finances are dead, but Jesus is not limited to your reality. The, the reality might be that your prodigal looks a little hopeless, but can I promise you that my Jesus is not limited to your reality. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within each one of us, in work within your marriages, at work in your, your life situation, at work in your children's lives. Can I just tell you, resurrection power is at work. We're not talking resuscitation here. We're not talking mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. We're not talking spiritual CPR. We are talking about resurrection power. And when God speaks, nothing can stop it. And you see, that's the missing point in this James passage. If we don't settle it, deep within our soul that he's a good good father if we don't settle it deep within our soul that he is God and nothing's impossible for him if we don't settle it that nothing is too far gone even for him if we don't settle it that his word is true and it works and we will not waver back and forth in unbelief we'll never get beyond this verse in James we've got to settle it in our mind that our God is powerful that he's powerful that his word works. That he is truth and what we see in the natural can sometimes lie. And that we will not be moved by what we see in the natural. That we serve a supernatural God in whom there's nothing impossible. So he says, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And fear came upon them, and they all glorified God, saying, God has visited his people. Can I just tell you that I believe God is in the house, and I believe that he wants to visit his people tonight. I, I think he wants to speak life into some situations. I think he wants to breathe new life into some people. I, I, I believe that he wants to resurrect some dead marriages. I believe, I believe 
that he is able. One last thing before we close, I just want to tell you I was a little, um, I, I was studying some, some scripture this week about death because uh, I put in my notes that he overcame hell, death, and the grave. That on the cross of Calvary, scripture says that he conquered hell, death, and, and the grave. Are you with me? But in Revelation, it says that the last enemy to overcome is what? Death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So I'm like, Lord, if you overcame hell, death, and the grave on the cross of Calvary, but Revelation says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death, how does that work? If you overcame it here, but you need to destroy it here. Do you know what it is? The difference between overcoming and destroying. That's why we have issues with trials and tribulations. That's why some of you are dealing with some death in your life, and I don't mean a physical death. I mean death of relationships, death of whatever. Death of joy, death of peace, whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with. He overcame it. We're more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. He's given the victory, but it's going to be a battle till it's destroyed completely. Jesus came and was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He's made us more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. And the day is coming where we won't have to fight this battle anymore. That death will be destroyed. Its power over us will be destroyed. But in the meantime, the stinger is out. Have you ever been stung by a bee? When I was a little girl, I, got, uh, I, I was really afraid of bees. And um, we lived in a very, our very um, rural area, big fields in my backyard. And, and so my brothers and I used to go down there and play. And, and there was a bee that... Um, uh, that was just pesty, and I was always afraid of stepping on them. I seemed to step on bees more than I'd actually get stung by them, but they'd sting my feet then, and so I was really afraid of that. And somebody told me a story one time about how, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but when a bee stings one person, it leaves its stinger in them, and it can't, it's powerless to sting another person. Are you with me? Um, and so if my brother, for example, got stung by a bee, that bee would not be able to sting me because the stinger would have been in my brother. Are you with me? So Christ says, oh, death, where is your sting? Because you know what? The stinger was left in him. He took the stinger for us. He took the punishment. He took the, the pain for that. And so now we face death without a stinger. It doesn't have a stinger anymore. I was reading this week about um, stagecoach Bart. Does anybody know him? I gotta make sure I have his name right because I was fascinated by this story. He, uh, yeah, his name was um, Black Bart. He was a stagecoach robber. And, and I just wanna finish with this story because it goes with my bumblebee. But Black Bart, I guess, held up all of the stagecoaches way back in like the 1700s. Um, what is the name of that, um, the bank with the stagecoach, Davy? Wells Fargo, all of the Wells Fargo stagecoaches he would hold up. And, and they called him Black Bart, and people were terrified of him. And, and he had a gun, and he had a black, I guess he was all dressed in black, that's why they called him Black Bart. And, and, and he would get away with all of this money. He would steal it, and they would give it to him, and they'd just drive off. And, and, and so finally they, they captured Black Bart, and, and they found out that all along, he was very polite. Like at one, one robbery, a lady threw her purse down to give it to him, and he said, oh, no, ma'am, I don't want your purse. I just want, I just want the Wells Fargo money. And, I mean, he was very kind. He was never mean. He never fired a shot the entire time that he held up these stagecoaches. And they just thought it was because they gave in and gave him the money. Well, when he got arrested, they found out that even though he carried a gun, the reason he never fired a shot is because it was always an unloaded gun. He didn't have any ammunition in it. And they said the only ammunition he had was fear and intimidation. That there were no bullets in his gun, it was fear and intimidation that let him rob people. And I was reading that story and I thought about the enemy of our soul and how he comes to steal, kill, and destroy 
And, and, and really, uh, you know, I told you, Satan, uh, we, we see in the book of Job where Satan uh, goes before God and he says, you know, uh, have you considered my servant Job? And, and, God, and, and Satan said to God, well, you have this hedge around him and, and he's protected by you and, and he won't curse you, but you take that hedge down and you watch what happens. And, and so God says, go ahead, you can test him, just don't take his life. And, and, and I think sometimes the enemy because the Bible says it's a testing of our faith, the enemy wants to prove our faith is, is worthless. And so he brings all these trials, all these tribulations that the, that the Lord allows, and, and, and it's a testing of our faith. But you know what? If we got to a point where we realized his gun was not loaded, and the only ammunition he had was fear and intimidation, we could then in turn embrace this thing and consider it all joy and, and begin to say, I'm gonna persevere through this because I know your gun isn't loaded. I know that all you can use is, is fear and intimidation and I don't have a spirit of fear. I got a spirit of power. I got a sound mind. I got a God in whom there's nothing impossible. So you know what? Bring it on. Guns aren't loaded anyway. I'm not afraid. If we just got to that point where we embraced our trials and we said, this thing is working in me, a weight of glory that far outweighs any affliction you could ever bring on me. Come on, church. Do we want to mature or are we happy to stay where we at? Do we want to be the real deal or do we want to be nothing at all? Do we want to be fake or do we want to be real? Because I'm telling you, that momentary and light affliction is producing in you a glory that far outweighs it all. Do you just want to say, bring it on? I just want to say, bring it on, Black Bart, because I am ready for that. Are you ready for that? Will you consider it pure joy instead of whining and complaining and woe is me and now I've got another trial? Can you thank the Lord that he trusted you with it? That he is forming something in you? I gotta tell you, I hate it. Ask Dave, ask Leslie. I whine and I carry on, but I'm gonna tell you in the end, I understand that it is producing something in me that can't be produced any other way. And more than I want a peachy keen, honky-dory life, I wanna be the real deal. I wanna be a woman of substance. I wanna be a woman that people look at and say, I know she's been with Jesus. I want to be, I want to be a testimony of his goodness. Do you know that we are called to be living epistles? Living epistles read by all. Did you know that we are God's resume? Well, when, when you fill out a resume, what you write on that resume is, this is what I'm capable of doing. This is what I've proven I can do. Do you know that we are God's resumes? People should look at our life and say, wow, look at that. Look at how she handles trouble. Look at how she faces trials. Look at how she's come forth like gold. Look at what her God can do. Look at what his God can do. We are living epistles. God's resumes. This is what our God is capable of doing. And this is how we overcome it, with good, with good. So whatever that situation is that seems so hard, too impossible even for God, can you find a way to conquer the evil that the enemy wants to bring into it with good this week? Find something to be intentional. Uh, you know, let's, let me just flesh it out. Let's say your trial is a, is a particular difficult person who pushes every button you have, who, who says things to hurt you, who is really not very lovable. Oh, baby, can you just love them this week? Can you speak kindly to them instead of nasty? Can, can you do something over-the-top good for them this week? And, and watch how that overcomes inside of you. I'm not talking about... Uh, one, one last scripture. This week I read the scripture that says a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I've been meditating on that. Because I, I, I used to think, Steph, I used to think that a gentle answer turns away Steph's wrath. So if Steph was angry at me and I gave her a gentle answer, it would turn away her wrath. That's what I always looked at that scripture as meaning. But this week when I studied it, I thought, you know, if I'm in a situation where there is wrath being exchanged and it's not a good situation, it's not a good conversation, and I want to strike back, my gentle answer, the wrath that turns away, is inside of me. I'm not giving you that kind of power. I'm overcoming that evil. 
with good. And I will be kind. I will be loving. And I'm going to give you a gentle answer so that thing doesn't have power in me anymore. It, you're not carrying off the victory in me. I'm going to carry it off by that gentle answer, by that overcoming evil with good. Are you with me? It's light. It's momentary. Even the heaviest of troubles in this room, light and momentary. This world, hear me, if, you, if you've tuned me out all night long, hear me. This world is a vapor. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. We were never meant for this world. You see, that's, that's where we go wrong. We hang on to this world like it's everything. We, we, we cling to this world like it's everything. This was not the world we were meant to live for. We are living for the next one. That's eternal. That's forever. And I care far more about storing up my treasures there than, 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 than being right here or, or storing, up my treasures, storing up my treasures down here. I am living for the next world. And this one's a vapor. It is going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to be gone tomorrow. And absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. That's why they're light and momentary afflictions. They're not lasting long anyway. It's only a vapor. It's a breath before we're present with him. And how we live matters. It matters. It matters. So Father, I thank you for every man and, and woman in this room. I thank you, Father, that you're a God who knows, Lord. You know every trouble, every trial, every tribulation they're facing, Lord God. You know the death that's been paraded through their life. You know what the enemy wants to use to bury them, Lord. And I thank you that in you, each one of us, Lord, are more than overcomers. That we don't fight for victory, Lord, we fight from victory. Let us be mindful this week, Lord, that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. And that greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. That everything we need for life and for godliness you have already given us, Lord. And that the same grace that saved us is the grace that's empowering us, Lord, to walk this all out and to overcome that evil with good. And so, Lord, let us be mindful this week to carry off the victory, to not be conquered by evil. Help us to persevere, Lord, in the face of adversity. Help us, Lord, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice no matter how stinky it might be, no matter how unfair it might seem. And let the fragrance, Lord, of your presence overwhelm us.